I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are you and where'd you come from? I'm Yasmin Coakley and I'm from Eastwell. Yasmin, welcome to my home, to the table can't believe I am finally <laughs> here. <laughs> I know, but we did such a mix and um, mis- miscommunication. Uh, you, I thought you were coming back to me with a date in Utah. And then, thank God, last night I was just like, I'm just going to ask her for the last time. And if she doesn't want to do it, she doesn't want to do it. I'm like, going, what the fuck happened? <laughs> she told me like that she was going to contact me after the confirmation. Yeah. And I was like, and like, and then she has all these other people on. Okay, <laughs> did she just say, "Oh fuck, I don't want to her anymore"? <laughs> no, like I was so desperate to get you on, Yasmin. Um, we both know each other because I asked you to come on my live show, um, because what you were doing with your therapy, and I just loved everything about you on Instagram. And I think it's not just that you're beautiful; it's that you have a beautiful soul and you have a beautiful way about you. That I just what you were doing really kind of resonated with me. Uh-huh. That um, I'd be very comfortable around you. So I was like, you know what? I think because what we are talking about on the live show just for you just to break that down for us and that's what we did um but before we start just take all the way back Eastwall but where did you grow up and with who so I was born in Joseph Mansions in 1984 to Paula Johnston and Christy Coakley and I was the second born I came six weeks early and I was a crier according to me man <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, we moved there out of there when I think I was four, and we moved into the North Strand flats, James Larkin. Mm. Um, my man and dad did. I think there was four of us at the time. Um, and yeah, it was great. Like, I have great memories growing up, and um, in the flats, I think the flats are always there. Uh, just you just remember your childhood just always being in the flats playing rounders you know with all your mates um I know Bev and um, said to me Beverly Coughlin said to me like when I had your ma on a ship with me a while ago and she was like Rebecca you've no idea of Paula she's like Paula looked after every child in them flats yeah. she was like if you had a problem if you were hungry if you needed that you went to Paula absolutely that's who my ma was that's who my ma is mm. Um, she was always like that. Our door was always open to absolutely everybody. She'd um, welcome any child in. She'd always say, like, we, we'd never stay out in anyone's houses overnight. But we used to have about ten all the time in my mas. And my ma just always loved kids and loved, like, 
our house was always full of kids feeding kids or anyone used to just come up to me mad knock at the door be mad welcome anyone in you know she used to have the job the job witnesses every month they'd knock um <laughs> with that with that magazine and you'd come in after being playing and there'd be four of them in, in in the sitting room all sitting there drinking tea and we'd <laughs> be entertaining them <laughs> so yeah um yeah, we had lovely memories growing up. Um, Danielle, my sister, she was always like me solely. She looked after me. Um, I don't think we ever had any major fights, like killing each other, mm-hmm. you know? We'd probably push or something. She used to do this thing where she'd grab you up into a chokehold. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and I remember once I hit over a high heel, across the head. Oh, my God. And... Um, she, she, uh, when I was making me first confession, she told me I had to tell the priest. Uh, and then I had to tell, I, I told that one confession nearly every time I got into the <laughs> confession box. Best be fired for I have sinned. <laughs> Heavy sister with the high heel across the head. Stop. <laughs> yeah, that was always uh, me confession. And then um, you were saying that, if you were having a chat earlier on about your mum, so she's now. Your mum's a Christian now. She's, yeah. yeah. So, and she's heavily involved. Not yeah. like she's, because I met her and I, you know, I've spoken about this before about how I feel about God and all. And have you seen a change in her or was she all? Absolutely. Mm. My mum's always had huge faith, Rebecca. Mm. Always. Um, always had a real, you know, I think she always kind of prayed and had that. Over the last few years, she really turned to God. Um, and then, like, you know, she was real spiritual and she do a meditation and that. And then um, a couple of years ago, she just kind of, you know, it, just trauma after trauma was unfolding in their house. And she kind of really turned to God then. And I just seen, like, for the first time, like, me ma never would have ever put herself um, forced. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody, anybody who knocked at her door, me ma be there. Constantly, I used to say to her, well, why don't you not train to be a therapist or something? Because <laughs> your door is open to everyone, like, you know. Mm. Um, but I'd say probably exhausting herself, you know, because she would have been like that, you know, always wanting to help others all the time. But to the detriment of herself, mm-hmm. you know, it really was. Um, but then, you know, and, and, and taking on my nephew, taking on so much. Like, my dad left the house, like, when I would have been about 10 if I think it was about 10 or 11 and uh, like he had little or no kind of involvement you know was kind of very inconsistent for years um, and so my mum reared us you know on our own so it was it was hard and she struggled like to look around my mum like would have done job after job cleaning job after cleaning job so she exhausted herself a lot you know just to make sure we had everything but a lot of stuff to the detriment of herself. And we always used to say to her, every year I think all of us would write in a card, you know, our biggest wish for you this year is that you choose you. And within the last couple of years, she just started choosing herself. And with that, I think her whole life just started to change. And it was gorgeous looking at her, like, uh, so emotional, looking at her going in and being baptised, like when they put her into the water, like the video, it was like, just, you know, it was a real cleansing of some sort it looked it was beautiful though do you know what i have to say and i don't know if i'm right in saying this i don't think they make women like your ma anymore no no 
Like, I don't even think they make inner city families like they do. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know what it is? It's community has just gone, Rebecca, mm. you know? And I, I think, you know, when you think years ago, we always ran in tribes. There's a huge lost sense of community out there now. Mm. You can see it everywhere. I remember growing up in the flats to summer projects. It was always community, mm-hmm. always community. And you just don't see that anymore. You know, people don't look at each other in the face because they're looking at their phones. They're uncomfortable even doing it now. That was never the thing. Everybody always looked after each other. There was always that huge sense of community. And I remember my mum was always part of that. You know, always on the committee. Always at every summer project she'd look for. Done all that. Remember going all our trips. Was You know, that was the way I would have remembered growing mm. up. Right now, it's just sad. People don't even... If they see it's someone in trouble, they're afraid. They'll get something happen to them. So it's fucking crazy out there now. Mm. But yeah, there is a huge sense of loss of community, I think. And then tell me with your dad leaving, like, did that have a massive effect on you growing up or? No, it's crazy. Uh, Rebecca, I've done loads of work on this, you know, through therapy and that. But um, I never really, like, I always used to say, oh, I don't know. Just don't really, didn't really bother me. Like, obviously, because my dad's drinking it started to have a huge effect in our house. Um so it was really like becoming problematic that he was drinking and my dad was a big soft you know never put his hands on us or done anything he was just an alcoholic and um his drinking just became so problematic in the house it was hard and my mum be coming in from work and she, like my sister Danielle would be after looking after us with cooking and doing whatever she had to because he just never came home when he was meant to you know so that was hard so I remember I was always, like, getting real angry at him and really annoyed because I idolised my ma. So I had a very disconnected relationship with him because I would have always been, like, my ma's friend. So it was hard, like, um, seeing how he was constantly, like, letting us down and them down. And so cause I, I kind of would have took on a real role as being older, you know, in that sense. And so... When he did leave, I, I, I was kind of delighted. Um, I know that sounds mad when you're that young, but I was. Um, but then, obviously, you know, I probably wanted some sort of relationship with him. But at the start, that was it. Like, he just, you know, obviously, he broke up with me and Ma, so we kind of broke up with us. So we'd see us when he wanted to on his terms. And then he met someone, and then it became, then he moved abroad. So it was just, yeah, it was just a period of... So I think in those moments I just decided I wanted nothing to do with him. And I used to walk by him in the street and all and yeah, I'm, I was very angry. I remember sitting in therapy and saying, I don't know, I just don't love him. I had this mad sense of that. I never, you know, I carried like me, me brother's pain as well, my brother's pain and the pain of them. I never really looked at, you know, what I needed. And um, last year... I went and done ayahuasca and during that ceremony I seen me as a little girl and I seen the time that I actually decided to disassociate was when he took us to his new apartment and he uh, just left us and Danielle was looking after us again and it was in them that moment I seen I went he's never going to do that to me again and hurt me so I disconnected completely and just uh disassociated and told myself this story that I didn't love him, I didn't need him. That I carried that story and believed it. 
true to myself, like wholeheartedly, I believed I didn't need him or want him. And it was only last year when I seen that, and it was my abandonment wound that he'd left me. And I seen like every little girl wants their dad. Every little girl deserves to have a dad, you know? And I think, yeah, it's great. My man did a brilliant job, but we we have men and women in the world that dare to do jobs. And the role of a father, I think, is as equally as important than, you know, just the mother. So when I really walked through that wound last year, I gave loads of forgiveness, went through loads of, you know, walked through so much of it. And, yeah, so within that, I wouldn't say I have a relationship or but I carry nothing anymore. Like, it's my dad, I love him, and I know that. It is what it is, you know? Um, but, yeah. It's so hard because even you and I have had conversations and, like, my heart's breaking for your little self, you know? Like, we've yeah. had these conversations about my brother and stuff like yeah. that and, you know, I have abandoned him now because mm. of reasons and you said to me but maybe me and I yeah. and I get it yeah. but at the moment with everything that's going on I don't have time to go back to him but so I don't feel for him and how you've gotten and that's probably just a story I'm telling myself absolutely just to so so that I I am not hurt or I'm not like you know what I mean and to then protect yourself yeah. Rebecca we all tell ourselves a story mm. and that's what I always say to my clients even and this story will protect you and it saves you but when it becomes detrimental to you and it starts having cause and effect like you start getting snappy or you're angry or you're having explosions because it's not working anymore this story you know mm. then you have to start looking at then what's going on and that's you know usually what leads people to therapy is the story they've been telling themselves for years is not working anymore because it's it's protected them you know people say oh you know co- uh, negative coping behaviors i always like to use the word protectors because they have saved you. They have helped you when you don't want to look at your pain, when you don't want to face that truth. And they are protectors. And it's when you start to look at that. You know, I mean, I think people do say, oh, I only want the truth. But do you? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you don't. You know, I think it's a fucking hard pill to swallow at times, the truth. So we all protect ourselves. So, you know, it's have compassion for yourself. And you will come to that because I think with all of us, you know, we can only go so far with the story that isn't our authentic mm-hmm. true self and then it can, I can take it back because we're talking about clients and all that and we'll go into that and talk about mm. uh, what you're doing today then take it back then Danielle did you and you were her doing everything in the house and your mom out working on did you still have like good time where you was wild or uh, yeah. like, yeah, like teenagers and like I remember the time my mom was um, my mom went to work and my mom had Christopher was only a baby at the time and we were in our uniforms and we are in the flats at the time and um, Danielle um, was minding us and we were actually in the bedroom singing all of our um, religion song you know Harem Bay <laughs> all the religion songs and we were singing them to Christopher and we seen a moose and we started screaming all over the place so with that my mum bag and baggage we all have to leave evacuate the house the moose <laughs> is in the house and my mum was getting us all out and me and um, me uh me and Danielle went and stayed in my nanny's. Um, we were in my nanny's bed. And I was I was always a wind-up Rebecca. And I was in the bed and I start putting my hand up my back and rubbing it like it was a moose. <laughs> <laughs> and 
Like when I was younger and we lived in uh, Joseph Manchester, though I was very young then, we had bump beds. So what I used to do is I used to, I was always a, a pissy fuck. Um, I used to, I used to piss in me bed. I used to uh, piss in me bed or piss in Danielle's bed and then get, <laughs> I get down and say, Danielle's had to wet in the bed. <laughs> I used to say, did you wet the bed again? And Danielle would be like, no, I didn't. Because Danielle was so good, I didn't. Yeah, yeah I did oh, awful my... things. I was a mad prankster. Oh. What was your school life like? Primary, it was okay, but then it was became hard around fifth or sixth class because I started being bullied uh, by a girl, and it, it was becoming a bit intolerable in sixth class. Like she used words like "you think you're fucking massive," "you think you're this," or "push me," and just loads of different stuff. And I, I, I couldn't wait to get out. You know, mm. and there was a lot, so much happening within the, the house as well in my mas. Mm. So it, it, I was very uneasy. I think at that time in my life, when I look back, I remember just feeling um, just like I couldn't control it. Mm. And I didn't know what to do. My ma was so like consumed with so much of that stuff. My brother was starting to get into trouble and lots of things were kind of unfolding. And... Um, I couldn't wait to go to secondary on my first day. I remember my ma was after bringing me and she did two French plats in me here and she brought me up to, um, what's it, up in Monastery, Grants, mm. to get me jumper. And I walked in and I was I didn't know whether I wanted the plats or not because I thought I looked very young in them, you know, when you mm. go from that. And when I walked in, d- d- these girls that were after being bullying me, they were meant to go to Merino. Mm. They arrived into King's Inn and I literally... Like my jaw dropped. It was like uh, felt sick, and then it's, it kind of went on till Torje, back and forth, and I started going less and less to school. I didn't want to be in school, and I started kind of becoming a bit wild. Then start. I, I was going out when I was about thirteen. Mm. Started going out very young, and um, with a friend of mine who was older. So, and I was, and I loved being with older people as well. So I started kind of, yeah, getting myself into odd situations. And I actually remember I was in Torje and I, went, I came in and I was actually had to be out the night before. So I was kind of hung over in the classroom and she started, uh, she started at me. And I remember standing up and I just stood up and just lifted her over in the classroom. And that was it. Stopped. Stopped. That was it. But Jesus... I used to dread when I'd walk into that classroom. Remember after I lifted her over, I flew up the stairs to Danielle because she was in <laughs> fifth year sweating, thinking she was coming after me. And isn't it like how like kids today, and even now that with Amelia being in, um, going into secondary now, I'm terrified. I'm terrified for her because mm. of people who are like that, who just yeah. have no regard for anybody else and just want to make someone's life hell. Yeah, it's hard. It really is for all the kids. You know, it really is. I've clients that are only um sixteen and seventeen, and it's savage. Like even when I was younger, it would have been. But it just, I think social media is fucking horrendous for young kids. You know, you can look at the positives of it, but just when I do listen to that story, you know, to the mm. pressure, the pressure. 
pressure and the fear that they have around even posting a picture or anything. You know, it's savage out there for young kids. And you're a mum yourself, aren't you? I have four kids. Four kids, how old kids? 21, 17, 15 and 6. God, what was that like? <laughs> well, I was 17 when I had my son. And I think, yeah, I think he saved me. Um, saved you from what? Saved me from, I was very wild. I met his dad when I was 16. And it felt like he saved me in a way as well because I was wild. So it settled me down. Um, I remember when I got pregnant at 17, because I, I would have been wild. You know, Danielle was always real, the real sensible one in the house. And uh, so I would have been wild. So I think when I got pregnant with him, it stopped me. You know, it stopped me going out. I was using drugs, drink. I was just, I was just mental, you know. So when I got pregnant on him, I just became a real mammy. It was like, yeah, I loved every minute of it. When I think now my daughter's 17, Jesus, I should be like, how? When I look at her, like, how would anybody even hand a baby to someone that young? Mm. But I felt like he did. You know, he really did save me. I, I became really in tune with myself and started really wanting to do stuff and all for myself. But I did sacrifice a lot of stuff till later on in life to to rear my kids because although like you know my ma had to walk all them hours so she wasn't present as much as she needed to be so that was hard so I always said I was never going to walk full time so that I was there for them part time you know to give them their dinner and and me um, ex at the time my ex-husband he was, he was in a good job so it was okay to do that so it was good like you know I was full of gratitude that I could be there for them because I know for a lot of people that work full time it's fucking hard like when they want to be at home and then so married life and separated and all of that is this why you did all you this kind of therapy stuff that you'd be doing or I know I started um started me kind of thing with therapy back in 2009 but before that I'd always been real inquisitive about the mind and I loved it and I remember there was these Trinity college students that used to come up to the flats to help to help disadvantaged kids with English but one of them he was a wacko um, he just used to come up and just talk to me because he was like studying psychology all about the mind and all about this and we very rarely did English mm. um, yeah so that kind of set me on a path in something in my head and then I just always used to say I wanted to be a counsellor but I thought it was about me just giving advice and talking <laughs> all day long because I mm. love to fucking talk. <laughs> like, I love it. Can you tell? Mm. But, um, and then when I started, I done like um, a, a diploma in DBS. And mm. then I was going to go on and do my degree in DBS, but I didn't. I went on to PCI to do my degree. I did three years in my degree and I deferred my final year to get married. Couldn't wait. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I deferred my final year, and then after that, life just got in the way. I wanted to go back and do it, but money was scarce. Just just took me right off the path of what I wanted to do. And then I really, after I got married then, I really wanted another baby. And I was there, uh, I think I was trying for about two years for Ryan. Um, 
and like I'd previously got on the other three because I had a 10 year gap I mm. previously got pregnant so quick so that was that was hard um during that time and then yeah uh in 2018 I went back to finish my degree um did the two years and after uh that I was like right I'm going to just now get a job and in a get a job and then I'll do like one day a week doing clients but then my page just kind of start people just start asking me through my page it kind of took off a bit mm. last year um which was good because it came at a good time because my marriage broke down then in January last year and I think that was probably apart from losing my best friend probably one of the worst pains I've ever felt you know recovering from that has taken me nearly two years how do you come back from that because there's so many women and men out there that have gone through it or gone through not that it's your case a betrayal or anything like that how do you come back from that do you know when you've been with someone for 23 years and they're literally in your bones you know it's and you choose to say, I can't do this anymore. And you kind of then live in your truth. That's the hardest part because you have to be accountable too. You know, you're, you're deciding that this is not, you know, because I wouldn't have never really chosen myself much that when I decided to do that, it was like really, really hard. And I remember the days after he left, just like panic and the weeks even this the panic was in me was like my anxiety was at it's a fucking peak that I never felt um, just fear you know how am I going to do this how can I do this and I'd say if anyone would have given me t- attention even though maybe I did get that but I didn't want it it was something bigger I knew that I, need, I needed to do this I knew I, I couldn't keep going around the story I was like, there's no way through this. I have to go through this pain. You know, I can't keep going. It's not that bad. It's not that this. I need to go through this. And it was fucking horrendous. Probably, the, as I said, the worst pain I've ever endured. Um, like, you know, loving someone so much and deciding that you can't be with them anymore was very, very painful. Really painful. I mean, like, you know, when you have kids that need you as well, so I think like with the page kicking off and distractions and even you asking me to come on the show at times when you have little or no hope, you know, when somebody, when you've had the security of someone for so long in your life and I always would have thought I'd never survive without him. I'd never survive without him. That was always something I just always, you know, when I knew, I, I, I probably knew I was staying longer than I needed to, but telling myself another story. Um... Because of all that, and when I went, no, I actually can't d- decide to do that. That pain, I remember, just unbearable, unbearable pain on, on days, you know. For me, for my kids, for the expectation that I had of this life that I was imagining that was going to be my forever. Um, it's like, it's like you know, cutting it and trying to navigate your way into some new reality that just you're like what the fuck 
but it's been the most beautiful pain as well, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because within that pain, I really did, as fucking cliche as it is, really come home to me and find me. And I took, I threw the kitchen sink at myself to heal because it was like, this is it, give me it all. Ayahuasca, Cambo, therapy, sunrises, sunsets, yoga, Reiki, give me it all, I need it all, mm. you know, to pull out everything that I can get through this. Because when you are going through it, I always say self-care is paramount. Self-compassion and kindness to yourself will really, because my nervous system was always like just all over the shop from a young age because inconsistencies have grown up. So creating safety for me was something I've only started to do over the last two years is to feel safe in me. And when you we talk about people who get strengthened, they say, oh yeah, maybe I got it from my ma or I got it from my dad. I got it from... Do you think you, you've got that strength from all the work that you've done on yourself? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. definitely. Definitely. It was, it was like... I became, like, I have such a great support system. My sisters are amazing, my ma, my friends, they're all, I, I do. But I did detach myself during that period because I needed to heal and I needed to drown out the voices around me. And that's really, when you are healing, you know, you kind of do start moving away because when you have so many opinions and people, it can be very hard to hear your own voice, to find that intuition, that that, that little voice that was inside me, for that to get louder I needed to just quiet everyone around me. And it did feel very lonely at times. But it also, I, I could hear myself, I could learn to trust myself, I could build safety in myself. And through that, you know, all of last year was kind of the most intense of it. Was Would have been the worst of it. This year, it was hard as well, but not so much. Because I, I, I felt like I had me tools. I felt like I... I kept pushing through, even when the doubts were coming in. You know, when they come in fucking hard, your mind will keep playing tricks on you. Keep telling you, don't do this, don't do that. Remember this, remember that. You know, just to kind of, because your mind is just trying to protect you all day long, Mm -hmm. you know. And that's one thing I always kind of bring back to myself, is that's all my body is doing, and our bodies are fucking amazing. I keep trying to keep us, you know, away, because it just is detecting danger. Mm -hmm. So with me being able to, you know, soothe myself, you're all right, you're okay, get me own mantra, was part of the healing for me to feel safe in myself and create a life that I'm still navigating through at the moment, I suppose, which is very much different to what i seen for such a long time. Mm. So... It's it can be very hard at times still, I suppose, yeah. So for you to get on that stage with me that time. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Must have been absolutely huge. Huge. It was huge. It was huge. It was huge. It felt, it felt brilliant because, do you know what? I've never spoken public since my auntie Tammy was getting married years ago in North William Street Church. I'd say there was about 250 people in the church. And at the last minute, I was only 11 or 12, she, I got asked to do a reading that a fella didn't want to do and I said, yeah. And I got up onto the altar to do it. And there was a word I couldn't say. And I went back four times to say the word. <laughs> and I couldn't say it. Mm-hmm. I broke down hysterical. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And Natasha McKeever's dad, Jimmy, had to come up and get me. And carry me down. And I mean, I was hysterical. I never spoke in public. Oh my God. I done your show last year. I never spoke again. I used to be terrified to ever speak up. The fear, even I remember when I was in college, having to do the role plays, I used to get myself into some state. Jesus. Yeah. And was college not tough for you? Because did you leave school then? Or I did left you? school, yeah. I left, I left school in uh, fifth year. I left school in fifth year. I got a job in the Rotunda. Did you? Hospital as an orderly. <laughs> I swear to God, I loved it. It was a brilliant job. I swear, we used to fly around uh, giving the breakfast so to the mothers that was there, uh, only had the babies. I walked the labour ward loads of times, so you'd go in after someone had a baby, give them the tea at toast, uh, scrub down the bed and that for them. I loved it, it was, it was brilliant. But I was out partying all the time, I used to go in still up. Hilarious. I swear to God, I used to go in still up. <laughs> I was mental. Um, so yeah, when I left school, so... That was a big thing, me going back to college, you know, was because of the academic side of it. Many different things in my way that I was thinking, doubt myself all the time. Like there is sometimes I still think, not so much now, because I've, you know, I'm getting on right now. But I used to think someone's going to knock on me down and go, no, you know, that's all a lie. You, you never done that. You never done that degree. Even though I remember at the time when I was finishing it. Me and my uh, ex-husband had separated. Before we finally separated, we were broke up for about five months. And um, it was during COVID. 
And I was, i never forget it, I was trying to do my thesis and having rain sitting on my lap, literally typing away during COVID and thinking every, every assignment I'd hand in, I'd say, I'm not going to pass, I'm not going to pass, I'm not going to pass. And all the research I'd done and all, I don't like with a fucking two-year-old, like, you must be incredibly proud of yourself, are you? I am, yeah. Now I am. I actually, yeah, I can say that quite confidently I am because it was hard, like, you know. Mm. I did feel like I was never going to get there. But I knew I was just needed to push through the other side of fear. Can I ask you about your friend that passed? What was that like? Horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. She was my husband's sister. And that um, find a weird saying my husband or my ex I'm, I keep mm. going back and forth you know when you're still unsure mm. my ex husband mm. um, so when we were um, that February his sister died she, we just got a phone call in the middle of the night in the February to say that she died and Lisa who was my friend was still alive at the time and it was horrendous his sister Karen had passed she was only 30 uh, just fell asleep in her bed and he didn't know um, he said it, it wasn't suicide or anything mm. but that year Lisa was Lisa had had a heart attack in 2018 or something and she was me. I, I, I'd had like a big 40 at fire in my house and I was glad because we'd lost contact on and off we're always still friends but she kind of um, was on another path for a bit in life but we did you know um, at the end like all of us all of our friend group we kind of reconnected with her then and it was lovely it was like I don't know it was just mental that it all kind of came together so we had a big 40 for it my hips it was brilliant um, and then that was that, that fit, that after the whole party the August of February Karen died and then the August um, or the July, Lisa took another heart attack and um, she was in hospital and me and um, Thomas and the kids was in a beta um, for three weeks nearly and they were doing all the tests and they wanted to bring us in for a meeting. And when we were over there, we got a phone call. My mum was at the flying over to me, I was at a bring my ma over, you know, for a few days because mm. there was so much that was after happening in my own family. And uh, we got a phone call to say she was taking a stroke and they, did, they thought she was dead. So that was horrendous. I remember jumping up, hysterical. I couldn't breathe in the middle of bamboo coo, running with the baby in my arms. I wanted flights out of there to go home. Anyway, they got to Bowman and they were able to take, you know, they take the mm. the the stroke from... Yeah. yeah. Mm. Whatever they done, yeah. you said it was yeah, the blessing. You, yeah. yeah, so she was um, she was saved. Like, and then they wanted her to go to. Um, I'm getting emotional. Take your time. It's just, just the pain is be still so raw. She um. Paul, is that box of tissues there? I'm just Sorry, I'm all right. Uh, when we went for the meet, when we came home, they uh, 
they told us that uh, you know she couldn't have a heart transplant. Um, that she had she she'd kind of been covering how bad how bad she was. They'd been trialing out loads of different uh, medication over the couple of years that nothing was working for her. But she kind of kept it all to herself. She was really like that, you know, private. And um, they uh, they told us in the meeting that there was nothing they could do for her. And she wanted to go home. And they said they were going to bring her, put her in Francis Hospice. But I've always been so angry about this because... They said she might you might get long in Francis Hospice, you know. But she just wants to go home. They said if you go home, you mightn't even last a week. This is your best opportunity. And she was terrified because she was so used to it. she was weeks in the matter in her own room, um, in the heart place. And this is so mad. My ma was walking on that ward. The sergeant that was Lisa's was the doctor Thomas and his dad was walking on his house God in um, what's that road called over the south side uh, Aylesbury Aylesbury Road mm-hmm. they were doing a big house day for him God yeah, man Gavin Gavin Blake mm. that was our sergeant imagine such connection and they didn't know any of this yeah till we were in a beta that they were like and my ma was there as well my ma used to go into her every night and sit with her and talk to her about things and and then they um they told us in the meeting there was nothing they could do she was going to the she was going to hospice she just wanted to go home to her ma's chair and she didn't even make it a week you know what I love her not to just even have the day in her ma's because she'd been so long she just wants to go home to her ma and her kids. Like she had three young kids. And she was 41. It was like... I actually never forget the fucking pain. And she was, yeah. That's all day. God. Yes. Yeah. Emotional. Just always, I don't think I'll ever like, you know, you miss someone so much. Just, you know, you'd want, wanted something different for her. She deserved something different. She was a beautiful soul. It, I, like, grief is the one thing that I said before that I haven't been affected by it until last year and it's coming up to his anniversary and he was robbed from us as well. Mm-hmm. He had a heart attack. Um, but you know what I was struggling with that was that when I when I was posting about him on Instagram and all I like I was tagging his wife because I was like I shouldn't be this sad because yeah he was married and he had a wife and kids so what like to cheek me to be this sad really? do you know what I mean yeah um and I think that's a real struggle that like I've struggled with the loss of him but also like I was always giving out to him. Like, I was always, always having a moment with we'd, we'd great crack. But even when he passed and when I talk about him on, on Instagram and stuff like that, I sometimes be like, try to be really mindful of her. 
but we all have our own grief we all have our own memories as well and that's something that I have Absolutely. to be mm. you know it's not anyone's pain is that pain mm. you know this is always a thing I find with people and this is how people never kind of you know it's like you know when you grow up and there's always someone worse than you mm. this type of language so what you do is you, you invalidate yourself mm. because you think your feelings aren't you know shouldn't be there because this is kind of the language we grew up with there's always someone worse than you but Whatever you're feeling, it's not going away. Mm-hmm. Whether you tell yourself that or not, all you're doing is pushing it down. That feeling will remain. Mm-hmm. You know, more to honour it and acknowledge it. And say, and, and I think it's more, Jesus, that's the love I had for this person. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all that love, I think, shows who we are as people and the person you are, that you loved him, you mm-hmm. know, rather than trying to discredit anything that you've been feeling. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, towards him, you know, it just shows how much you loved him. So, you know, no one can say how you feel, how you feel, how you feel. It's your feelings. Mm-hmm. And grief is a kicker, isn't it? It fucking... It's horrendous, you know. The loss of anything is, you know, it's the letting go. And it's... I think what I've started to know about grief is it's all that love that you have. Where's it going? You know? And and that's what I think is that you're trying to process. That you can't give. Mm. When you're letting go of something... Or someone you know, and it's hard. Whether the person's alive or whether they've passed, mm. you know, there's a grief to losing and saying goodbye to something that you don't want to. You know, if you want to, it'd be okay. Mm. And then, Yasmin, can I ask you? So you're you've qualified therapist now, and you've clients and everything like that. But you talk a lot about breath work through counselling. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that. So, obviously, like. Over the last 10, 11 years, being in therapy and being a therapist, obviously, you know, all therapists have their own approach and nobody can judge anybody for what way they work, um, if it works for the client. I think for me, like, through me healing, through doing ayahuasca and finding a therapist, which is paramount, I think, is finding a therapist because ultimately, ultimately, what would what will be the catalyst for change will be your relationship. Mm. You know, you can have all the tools and talk all the lingo. If you don't have a relationship that is developed, then you're not going to open up. You're going to be, you know, if you have any type of trust issues and you don't trust that person. And for me, you know, I, I said in front of the therapist that, you know, some therapists walk, they don't talk. You go in and you talk your 50 minutes and you leave. Some will throw little kind of sayings about whatever. If that works for someone, that works. I found maybe it wasn't really working for me. It was missing big moments for me that I got through ayahuasca and through a therapist I found when I returned. Because um, you have to have 50 hours of your own therapy done to become a therapist. So I would have done that. And then I would have went back and done another 25. And I was always in and out. I always used to go in a crisis. Mm-hmm. And then when the crisis was over, I'd say, mm-hmm. oh, fuck this. Because I'd be getting nearer to something I didn't want to look at. Mm-hmm. And I'd go, oh, it's not that bad. You're over-exaggerating. You're carrying on or whatever I'd tell myself. Anytime I was touching something that I didn't like. But with the therapist that I found, I loved how she interacted with me. You know, it was a real genuine connection. And felt like a friendship and a... You know, that people just don't really think that you can have with your therapist and you can. Like people that think, could you love your clients and all, but you can. Mm-hmm. And do you think about your clients when you're not with them? Of course you do. You know, they do matter to you. Mm-hmm. And of course you care for them. People don't just think, oh, you just shut off and all. But, 
you know, I don't take it necessarily home, but of course a client enters my head and I reflect on them and see how they are and each individual client is all has their own little way. But through that type of work that I found with my therapist, that's how I would be as a therapist. I love to interact, you know, it's like it's like a collaboration. And I like that because I, I, I believe because I'm a person centered therapist, I believe that everybody is their own guru. Everybody is their own shaman. We just have so many blocks that are in our way to finding ourselves. And if I can be somewhat of assistance in you finding that yourself, because you you have the answers, you know, you've just they're just buried within people pleasing, within shame, within fear. But you remove them, and you'll find your answer because it's there. You know that's we're all as powerful as anyone else in the world. I believe that's why I never kind of would put anybody lesser down. You know, comparing because we are all the same. If you can just remove some of your blocks, the trauma blocks, shit that happened in your life that you've labelled yourself as, you'll find who you are. And I really believe that. And that was when I started doing breath work. I started to really put the mind and the body together because I found through talk therapy, some, some clients were staying in a loop, repeating the same story. We need to tell our story. We've never spoken. Your story is fucking so important here of why you got here and to understand your why. You know, if you can understand your that's why I do that. Then you can begin the process to heal um, and meet that with compassion. But the breath work was taking me and clients into another, removing them trauma blocks. You know, the energy moving up. Because I found more when I started doing ayahuasca and Use, use of plant medicines and mushrooms I've started to walk really holistically mm-hmm. and I love that and it's kind of set me on another path that I can see I'm moving, veering towards which I really like um, and through the breath uh, the results I see in a session when some of them, that energy comes up because they can talk but you need the feeling you know, the sadness or whatever it is or the anger when that comes up and you see it and that emotional release is there it's profound and I'll always be like wow when I see that so combining the two in session has been yeah it's been really useful for me and I think the breath is the medicine and what like is it like it's up there you're getting them to breathe through so it's a type of breath work you can use different types I really like conscious connected breathing which would be eliminating a pause you, you kind of keep breathing without like in a lovely flow kind of way you know up through the nose and out through the mouth rather than breathing through your mouth we can kind of be activating your um fight or flight response mm-hmm. so when you breathe up through the nose and out you're activating your rest and digest which is telling your body you're okay so within that um i've just found that you know, clients, even without even releasing trauma, it's very healthy for you as well to know how to breathe properly. I mean, for a lot of us, we just take air in. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I would have been really one of them because yeah. I would have been walking out of a lot of trauma responses for a long time in my life. Busy, busy, busy. Have to keep going, have to keep going, have to keep going, you know. My house, like my, my ward would have been how clean my house was mm-hmm. because my nanny was left, my ma's ma was left with like eight kids. Um, when my granddad died 
And so the nuns wanted to take the kids. And my nanny was like, fuck that, no way. So when they'd come up to do inspections to see, well, she, you know, had her head together. Mm. She'd have the place spotless. So everything was scrubbed to an inch of its life. So that kind of generational was brought down through us. So mm. how clean your house was, was your work. Mm. And I would have held that belief. It's limiting, you know, it's all these limiting beliefs we hold. And I held that until I was detrimental to me at times, you know screaming the house down like a pig if it didn't because if I thought someone walked in oh my god imagine what they'd say about me mm-hmm. you know this fucked up mentality do you know when the house we cleaned yesterday and then there's a few bits around and I said to Paul move those clothes I put them somewhere else and cleaned that and cleaned that and he was like why he's like it's always clo-. I was like no because you're from town <laughs> that I swear <laughs> no. to god because my ma if she knew anyone from town was coming to this house. <laughs> no way. That's that it is. And she she'd be like, You get you that house better be spotless. Like yeah. she wouldn't if someone from Fox Rock or something like that was coming to my she wouldn't care. But if someone from town she'd was coming say, to my house That's mad. She'd be like, get so I was like, Paul, just throw those clothes down there. Don't let her see those clothes when she comes Are in. You serious. Yeah. That's mad. And see now like I would literally because I used to say now now you can sit I used to think that rest was like a reward. Mm. So when I do X, Y, and Z, I keep going, keep going, keep going. Then I could sit down, and then I'm entitled to. And now I could literally just walk upstairs, have fifty loads of washing on my bed, and climb into it. Yeah. And I don't give a fuck because yeah. who's going to do it? Me. Yeah. And I'll do it when I want. That's really like been so good and actually liberating for me to not be so in that frame of mind to actually let that go mm. and say it's all right. Like, my mum was always, now, Ma's house was never like, you know, like a show house I ran. But when she wanted cleaned, or if me nanny was coming, mm-hmm. oh, we were bet You had to get the mm-hmm. house scrubbed, spotless, because me nanny coming up for the inspection. It's mad, and I swear to you, that was it. Um, do you think, because again, what you said there, and I had this conversation with Connor Ryan, you know that young flick, Connor Ryan off Instagram, do you know him? It's a big load of followers from... He's lovely, young flat, actually. Ah, right, okay. Um, and he said to me when I spoke to him about therapy, he was like, oh, yeah, I went to him, but I didn't like her. She didn't like me, so I didn't go back. Yeah. Isn't that really... like All the time. Mm. All the time. It's like when you meet somebody, it's a hit and miss. Do you mm. know what I mean? It's finding what works for you. Mm. And also, sometimes when you're not ready, as I said, I used to dip in and out. I'd go mm. in a crisis and I'd run. Mm. And, you know, it's your beliefs around it. Oh, fuck it. What's the point in dealing with this shit? You know, if it's if we don't want to touch that, you know, it's grand, it's grand, I'm grand, it's grand. You know, you hear people say, sure, a smack never did me any harm, and they're bleeding eating tablets and they're riddled with anxiety. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, that's always mm-hmm. the same. Um, it's it's when you come to yourself, you just, I think, if you have some compassion for yourself, and it is about finding someone that will, you know, you and her and you and him, wherever, you just walk together well. That's always, you know, the catalyst for change. Well, anyone, you know, is when you can sit in that room and feel seen and heard, that's kind of what it's about, isn't it? And that's one of the big things, I think, as well, because um, me and my mother-in-law, we would have had a very fractious relationship, mm. um, mainly because she was she's very past remarkable. And she'd say, oh, sure, get over it. You know, when I would say to her, yeah. you know, that fucking hurt me. I, yeah. Like, yeah. like, how dare I say? Yeah. No, God, people know me, mother and you know, like, I love her. But she would be like, how dare I tell her 
that offended me. Yeah. She'd be like, get over it. Yeah, but see, a lot of people are emotionally unaware, mm. you know, and they grew up with that. It's like I always say to clients, it's not about blaming because generational trauma is huge, you know, it goes right through the lineage. Your ma probably grew up with that. Your ma's ma. Your ma's ma ma. We could go on and on and on. Mm. What we do have to say is it's wrong. Because when it's wrong, the little girl inside of you then feels validated. But when you say get up and get over it, it's like, okay, my feelings aren't valid. So then you have to tell yourself something about yourself. Mm. So if no one's dared to say that's wrong, then you then, the little person decides to make up a story about themselves. I'm not lovable. I must act this way. If a people please, then they all see me. If I'm really good, everyone loves me. And that's the roles that we all take on mm. because we want to be seen. And attachment for a child is a matter of life and death. They'll do anything, you know, to be seen. Mm. So that's, you know, what happens. So when people use that language, it's probably because they grew up with that. Mm. You're crying, what you're crying for, stop. It's all the language that you hear, mm. you know, because people couldn't probably use their emotions years ago and they don't have that emotional availability or that emotional awareness, emotional intelligence and it's just, it's something that takes time and you've grown up with that but you don't blame, you know it's about just you validating your experiences mm. that's it, you know, when, you're, when you've grown up in relationships that have been kind of, as you were saying like a bit turbulent or mm. because that person is probably not meeting themselves in that way Yeah, and that's, that's what it basically mm. comes down to you know, so when you can kind of just understand that a bit more mm. and not think it's something to do with you. And that's the thing, yeah, you have to stop. It makes life a lot easier. It yeah. makes life a lot easier. Mm. I would have been like that, you know, felt felt attacked at, at, at times and because whatever way I was, the, the beliefs I was holding. Because I think when we see the world through our wounds, you know, it's hard because you're seeing them through you know, I think we walk 90% or something over our subconscious. And that's where your inner child is and all your wounds. So when you're walking through that, you see the world through that, mm. through all them wounds, which can look, the lens can look very fucking, mm. you know, negative. So when you start walk on your wounds and clean that lens, you can see the world better, I suppose. Yeah. And I think from watching you... um over like and I know you've offered me free therapy <laughs> many sessions many sessions did she say she was going to give me <laughs> no only joke but I feel that like from watching your videos and saying just say no put yourself first mm-hmm. look I have learned and I have like in some situations in the past few weeks um I have said no I'm not going no thanks have a ball love oh it God Rebecca Do, I swear to really God. you I know I no, know someone else in the room yeah <laughs> I have been saying no I'm not interested well no done. thanks and I have and, and how did it feel it feels great and even mm. like whereas if I didn't so, do something I'd be like oh my God oh my God I have to and then I think about it and think about it and when like Paul said to me come to the, I said no and he was like well, and now I've said Paul you have to accept now accept that I'm starting to say no to things or I'm not yeah. putting myself in those situations because when I get into those situations I'm paranoid yeah. I'm, I'm you know I'm upset I walk away from it being like oh my god so I was like I'm not yeah. doing that anymore but that is from watching your what your videos and even your last one that you put up that everyone has had to share and now I the know. anxiety one and you know that's so mad I always think the ones I fucking think into yeah. do fuck all or whatever <laughs> and then I'm just sitting in the house I was going to the Tim Morrison workshop at work, workshop yesterday mm-hmm. sitting down just had been listening to that um, Delilah um, 
pull me out of this and had heard her story about how bad she is with anxiety had just reminded me of so many people in that place that don't talk about it that they suffer in silence did it put a little bit in about my own and I mean I literally set the chair for the night whatever the fucking real is mm-hmm. and I was like came out after three hours of the workshop and my whole page is like blown up and I'm like mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. <laughs> like 600 followers or something and like mm. for me that's I was like okay what the fuck was this about mm. I mean it's great like but yeah it's mad as well that was one of the reasons why I was like I, I wanted to do the workshop that I developed as well like was because of that mm. you know because of women that find it hard to say no and that's because uh, that's a big thing for me but now I am tell me this because I know I want to don't want to keep it in longer you're doing a workshop I'm doing a workshop yeah I've been like I have like loads of obviously you know majority of my clients are women and I've heard lots of stories and the backstories and just so many women and just talking to women you know women um hairdressers makeup artists saying to me you know people sitting in that chair and they're like that therapist and they're saying you know they just haven't got this you know emotional awareness and they don't know about different things and just even clients of mine and I just you know was thinking let's reclaim ourselves let's bring it back to yourself emotionally sexually you know so many women even sexually are so like they, they, they believe like very limited beliefs around themselves sexually and you know asking for it and being okay and how they even feel sexually about themselves and um, if they grew up in homes where you know it's silenced and you know that their body is to be covered and you know they don't you know all of that and I just thought you know I wanted to just bring a day of women like a sisterhood where women can come and feel safe and we can talk about their emotional their sexual, their mental and their um, spiritual side and just reclaim it. And the day is going to be great. I got, um, I have a beautiful singer coming in. Um, I have an energy healer and um, a girl as well talking all about sexual shame and sexual pleasure. And then I'll be talking as well. And I just wanted to be a real day where women can feel safe and heard and kind of understand themselves and just leave with a little bit more even compassion for themselves. I'll feel like I've done something good because a lot of us lack that, just to have a little bit of compassion. We're always just trying to, in the rat race, to get somewhere and put ourselves down. Mm. That's kind of probably the number one where people are suffering bad with anxiety. Mm. You know, if you could just understand yourself a bit more, I think it really help you. What's the um, Instagram page you're on? McCree Therapy. Okay, which means? My heart, and I called it after my friend who died because of her heart attack. and She died of heart failure. So it's always um, a big thing for me. Danielle actually gave me that. Did she? Yeah. When's the workshop and where? It's in the Clayton Hotel in Cardiff Lane, so it's beside the Bogosh Energy Theatre, and it's the 1st of October. Um, 12 to 3 so I'll have a light lunch provided and just a lovely warm morning I suppose I just want people to come together and feel good good mm. and on that note we leave it there thank you thank you Yasmin thanks imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.